for a uh, few minutes of reminder and refresher. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, for me, uh, life has a way of snowballing, especially with five kids now. It can be a uh, carnival, um, a uh, a fleshly type of a um, time in a process. Kids have a way of uh, bringing out uh, the impatience, the frustration. Um, and of course, kids, especially um, if they uh, don't know the Lord or if they're young in their understanding of the Lord, struggle often with uh, the, the warring in the flesh. And it's very easy to, um, in the heat of the battle, in the quick pace of the days, to be drawn into that and find yourself uh, very quickly uh, walking not in the Spirit, but uh, in the flesh. And uh, as uh, kids get older and they become more learned in the things of God's Word and the ways of Christ, uh, they begin to recognize that in me and point it out to me. And so I find myself returning often to these passages in the Scriptures um, to remind myself, and I just thought we'd spend a few minutes tonight reminding one another of where our focus should be what our goal should be, and who's in charge. Um, I say that a lot to my kids. You're not in charge! Um, Because they're not. But then I find myself wondering, I wonder if God's saying that to me right about now. If having kids brings that out in you, doesn't it? It's like, now I think I have an understanding of what God must be going... I mean in some small measure, but infinitely more so. And so tonight, I'm going to lecture myself in front of you all on behalf of the Lord from His Word, and, uh, and hopefully maybe it's of benefit to you as well. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 5, and verse 1. would rather read the whole of Galatians. Um, And we do have some flex time from this morning that I could use up tonight just a little. But I won't. I'll jump in towards the end of of Paul's um, letter to the Galatians. And we'll start there. But first, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, we do thank you for your love and faithfulness. We thank you for the opportunity we have this evening to gather together and just to open your word, to sing your praises, to be reminded through the songs and the hymns and the choruses of your great love for us, your faithfulness to us, and Lord, the victory that we have. And Lord, we do, we are in need of that reminding of the old old, old story and uh, the focus that we need to have and the um, walk that we need to maintain. We just lift up this time to you and ask that you would guide and direct in it and work through it to your honor and glory and for the edification of your people. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That pretty much sums up everything Paul has been writing to the Galatians to this point. Remember, the Galatians is that church that he's concerned about. Who has bewitched you? I'm concerned about you that you depart so quickly from the faith that you have been instructed in, from the gospel message. Oh, foolish Galatians, Paul says in chapter 3. He's talking to them about the difference between the law and grace. And at the end of chapter 4, he had just finished the discussion of the typology from the Old Testament about Hagar and the child who was born through her, the child of the bondwoman, the child of the slave. And that one wasn't accepted by God. It was instead the child of promise who came from Sarah, who was the one that God accepted. And so Paul mentions and quotes from the Old Testament in chapter 4 and verse 30, Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren... We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. And that's what brings us to chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, because we are children of the free woman. The free woman, which is Sarah, who is the typology of the new covenant. The one to come, which would be a covenant of grace and not a covenant of of the law, a covenant of the spirit and not a covenant of the letter. And it's in this standing, being children of the free woman, children of grace, that Paul brings up this word liberty. Our liberty, the liberty that we have in Christ is the liberty of the freedom of which comes from not being under the law, not being held to the law's accounting, but instead being under grace. A little bit later on, Paul says, so the Galatians were the ones who were concerned with circumcision, whether you needed to add circumcision to faith in Christ in order to be saved. They were concerned with uh, the keeping of the law. And in verse 7, Paul says, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. This is not God's working. This is not God's command to you. Instead, you have been, you have become estranged from Christ. In verse 4, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For if if we through the Spirit eagerly wait 
for, the, for we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. It's through the Spirit that we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So again, as in other of Paul's writings, which we may have time to look at in Romans, there is a close association between the law and the flesh versus grace and the spirit. It's not in the law and the keeping of the law in our own strength, which the flesh was weak to do, that we please God, but instead it's by God's grace, through faith, and in the Spirit, as opposed to the flesh, that we are able, in fact, to fulfill all the requirements of the law. And this is why Paul, a little bit later, says to the Galatians, For you, brethren, in verse 13 have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you are consumed by one another. I don't know if you've been around kids very often. Uh, or very often recently, but if you get a passel of them together, verse 15 is one to keep in mind. The squabbles, the fights, the nitpicking um, is a, uh, a constant reminder of where we need to be in order to get out of that bondage that um, servitude uh, to the flesh and to sin, which resides therein. And so Paul says here, look, you have liberty. You're free from the letter of the law. You have this opportunity now not to do whatever you please, not to do whatever makes you happy, but to be able to truly do the thing you must have wanted to do in the first place. I'm inserting um, an idea here, but it should be true that for anyone who is truly penitent, who has repented of their sin, who has thrown themselves on the mercy of God and said, God, you were right, I am wrong, I have made a mess of this whole thing. I want to do what you say, but I have no power within me to do so. Save me, deliver me, heal me, restore me. Anyone who has truly come to Christ through repentance and faith desires, I believe, to be a doer of God's will, to be a doer of the law to be able to fulfill and to keep those precepts and those principles so that when David writes 
in the Psalms how I love your laws, your meditation. They've been my meditation day and night. We read those, or at least I do at times, and I think, man, David's on another plane from me because I would say those words, but I haven't lost a whole lot of sleep over it. I haven't missed out on much catnapping in order to make God's ways, God's principles, God's precepts, my meditation, my focus. And so it's no wonder that I would be caught up in the normal um, default way of living, which is carnal. And not necessarily in the carnal sense. You can be removed from the things of this world, from the images that the world would try to present and entice you to. Uh, There's not much television that goes on in our house. There's not much worldly music, none at all, in our house. Um, uh, There's uh, very, very little that in our lives that would drag us into much of what the culture revels in, in the pleasures of the flesh. But remember, the letter of the law is also also closely associated with fleshly living and carnal living. And so when we seek to stand apart from the law, we seek to stand in God's grace we must be standing in His Spirit and not in our own strength, in our own energies, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, or in our own abilities to manage and to perform all the responsibilities and the tasks that life throws at us. And sometimes those can be hurled at us so quickly that we forget where our attention and where our focus needs to be And so we just go about the routine knowing what we are to do, but trusting in our own resources, our own memory, our own strength to get it done. But that's not Paul's instruction here for the Galatians. For the Galatians, the carnality that they were dealing with was the religious life. It had to do with wanting to add things to Christ. And maybe this was born out of a zeal, to want to please God, but it was a zeal without knowledge, we could say. Hence, the letter, the strong um, letter written to the Galatians to correct, if not rebuke them, and get their focus uh, retrained. And that's what he gets to here in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to fulfill the law which presumably you do if you've truly come to faith in Christ and repentance, then the way that you do it is not through the letter, is not through the keeping of the law or adding extra things to the gospel, circumcision or what have you, but it's in fact, it's through remaining in the liberty but not the liberty to be doing whatever you please, the liberty of the freedom from the law and the freedom from 
the lusts of the flesh which are stirred up when the law comes and remaining in the grace and in the power of God's Spirit. So in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There's no doubt that there's a war going on. And it's not just out there. It's in here, in each one of us individually and in us as a body corporately. We still have this battle. And until the resurrection, until we get that new body, which is our hope, which is pastor has been uh, talking about now, and he talked about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but also now in 2 Corinthians, this is the struggle. And it's not just a struggle to avoid the worldly kind of carnality, but it's a struggle to avoid even the religious kind of carnality. But the flesh less against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, You are not under the law. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Who here wants to be under the law? Show of hands, anyone? Why, right? Because we know what the law will do to those who are under the law. Paul has already said it. Those who seek to keep the law are required to keep it all. Else they will be condemned just as the law requires. So rightly, none of us raised our hands as wanting to be under the law. Instead, we would be, want to be under grace. But Paul doesn't say that here. It's what we would normally say, and it's just as easily inserted here because there are other places where Paul does say that. You are not under the law, but under grace. But he uses a different language here to talk about being under grace. For us, oftentimes, we simply think of grace as getting a free pass. We didn't deserve it, but we got it. All right. And on we go. But Paul means something much more when he talks about that unmerited favor. And this is one of those subtle verses that if we're just plowing through, we'll miss if we're not careful. Yes, oftentimes Paul does say it very succinctly and he puts grace in opposition to the law. But here, he doesn't do that. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That's elsewhere. What does it mean to be under grace? Well, one of the things it means, according to the revelation of God's word, is found here. To be led by the Spirit. That word led there simply means to lead. Um, Like you would lead a horse. Or you would lead, uh, put a dog on a lead. Not in the sense that you're leashed um, and dragged. But the idea is uh, to be escorted, uh, to be shown the way, 
to not be the one in charge. It's in the passive voice as well. We tend to focus on what we can do when we get to places like in verse 16, walk in the Spirit. That's the active. That's what imperative. That's what we should be doing. We are the subject of that action, of walking in the Spirit. But here, in verse 18, we are the ones receiving the action. The Spirit is the one who is acting. He's the one who is leading. And we are the ones being acted upon, being led. It's very easy to go about life in the active mode, in the active voice, knowing everything we're supposed to do and putting our full force of all our energies into it, which is not necessarily wrong, but that's not necessarily right either because you can be just as zealous about the law and operating in that mode and yet miss the boat. Instead here, there's a relationship involved. We are responsible for the walk that we walk. It is our walk to walk. Therefore, we are the subjects of that verb. We are in the active doing, the walking. But it's the Spirit who's doing the leading. And we are in the activity of our walk, the ones being led. And if we miss that balance, then we are not under grace, but seeking to be under the law. That's the dichotomy that Paul puts up in verse 18. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you are, just turn it around. Right? If you are not led by the Spirit, you are under the law. So none of us raised our hands as wanting to be under the law. The next question is are we led by the Spirit? And here it's not are you desirous of being led by the Spirit? We, yes, we are all desirous to be, but that isn't enough. If you are led, present, tense, passive. If the Spirit is leading and you are following now, then you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. If you want to, make sure, if you want to try and check and see where, where you are. This is one of those passages to weigh out. The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. 
Here's how I, as a parent and a faithful husband, read this passage. Adultery, uh, check, on no problem there. Fornication, check, no problem there. Uncleanness, no, not, not too much worry there. Lewdness, okay. Idolatry, no problem. Sorcery, and yeah, drunkenness and murders, nope, no worry there. But this really runs the gambit, right? It's easy to come wrapped up in your children to become jealous. Right? It's easy to be bursting out in anger. And what about selfish ambitions in the workplace? Or dissensions? Just kind of complaining. Undermining authority. Heresies. Contradicting those authorities. Or envy. And if we really get down to it, when we think about what Jesus said about murder and adultery and all those kinds of things, these are, this is a really tough list to get a handle on. Now we have done well, I'm sure, and hopefully very well. But the reality is these things are still around and they're not around out there. They're in anyone who is a possessor of flesh, sarks. If you have it, this is what you have to contend with. These are the workings out, how you know that you are under the leading of the flesh or the work. These are the things that come out. But the enticements, the inducements, the lustings are just as real in the believer as in the unbeliever. Hopefully, they don't find the outlet and we don't find ourselves under the bondage and the mastery of sin and the flesh any longer. Because instead, we have the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what being led of the Spirit produces in our lives, in our relationships. And those are the things that we need to continually be focused upon. To be mindful of. To pursue after. Because in verse 24, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now there are those who would take that verse and say, for instance, John Wesley Um, or maybe it's debatable whether he actually really ever taught this, but certainly others who have come from that line have said this explicitly, that no, you can get it taken care of now, in this lifetime. And you don't have to wait for that resurrected body to be completely done with sin and to be completely fini with the flesh to have that flesh completely mortified with its passions and its desires so that 
you're no longer even tempted by those things. That's not me. I don't think that's a correct reading of the entirety of the teaching of God's word. But even if it were, it wouldn't be me. That's something that I would aspire to, and that's something I long for, and that's something that is taught explicitly in the Scripture when it speaks of our hope and the resurrection. Why the resurrection is so important, and if there is no resurrection, we are still in our sins. We are of all people most pitiful, because in the end, what we long for is newness of life, which we receive now, a growing sanctification, which we experience now, and one day to have a new body from which we are free from all these things, the passions and desires of the flesh. Now, certainly we would hope that these aren't actually the works of our life. That we, that we don't practice these things. It's not our common practice to do these, these kinds of things. But the struggle is still there. And we long for the day when we'll be free from that struggle entirely. And there will be no temptation There will be no um, shortcoming in any of what we are. If we live in the Spirit, verse 25, let us also walk in the Spirit, or again, by the Spirit. Again, here we have ourselves being the subject of the verb. We are the ones who are carrying out the action of walking, our way of life, our manner of living. That's our responsibility. We really have to do this thing, living the Christian life. But the instrument, the means by which we live it, is again found outside of us. Well, as Christians, actually found inside of us, but it's not us. It's God's Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, that is, if we're born again, if it's by the Spirit, because of His working and His operation, that we have newness of life, old things have passed away, behold, all things have come become new. If that was not a working of our own, that was due to God's grace, apart from the works of the law, and it was something that he did, then how is it that we can think that we can live out that life by any other means or through any other instrument than that same one who started it? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We have a walk to walk 
and we have a leader to follow. We have a means by which we walk, at least in the Christian life. If we're going to stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, we're not going to fall back onto our own resources. We're not going to fall into the trap of lusting, the lusts of the flesh, so that we produce the works of the flesh. Instead, we're going to walk by the Spirit, we're going to be led by the Spirit, and we're going to be the produce fruits according to his working. So how is that done? Romans chapter 8 gives us some instruction in that regard. Again, Paul just got done talking about this struggle in chapter 7. What I want to do, I don't do. The law, I understand the law, I know that it's good, that's what I want to do, but I don't, that I don't practice. So therefore I see a principle that sin is present with me, the one who desires or wills to do good. And in verse 24 he throws up his hand, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So in chapter 7 it's again the letter of the law, Sin, which is aroused through that letter, those commandments, and through by which um, takes occasion through that letter, arouses all kinds of evil desires, and we succumb because we, because the law is spiritual in verse fourteen of chapter seven. But I am carnal, sold under sin. So we have this juxtaposition again the letter of the law, the requirements of the law, and only the flesh, our own human resources, fallen even, human resources to try and carry that out. And Paul says this is impossible. And so... In verse 24, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in verse 25, he answers his own question. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now enters, when you come to this realization, that is, in my own resources, I have nothing. I am wretched and without hope. And it's only through what God has to offer through Jesus Christ can we break out of the bondage which he refers to in Galatians. The bondage to the letter of the law and the condemnation that comes. And when we come to Christ, we have this new element, this new person who steps into the gap. And that's found in Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Again, we like the idea of not being condemned, but understand, though we 
like the idea of being in Christ Jesus so that we can, not, so we can receive the, fruit, the escape from the condemnation. But notice what characterizes those who are actually in Christ Jesus are those who walk according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Again, the element of liberty comes into play. But here, not so much free from the law and the requirements of the law, but free from the consequences of the law in my previous unregenerated state. I was in bondage to sin and to death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin the flesh. If the flesh was too weak to keep the law before Christ, how can it be strong enough, our own resources, if you will, apart from the working of God's spirit in our lives today? If that wasn't good enough before Christ to be pleasing in his eyes, how is it possible after having come to Christ to walk in the flesh and please him? Christ came so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So again, it has to do with what we are minded of, what we are mindful of. If we want to be led of the Spirit, if we want to be partakers of the freedom from the law of sin and death, if we want to be active participators in the working of God's will and the fulfilling of His law, the righteous requirement of His law, not necessarily the letter of the law, but the Spirit, if we want that in our lives, then our minds need to be saturated with and focused upon the things of the Spirit. And if that's not the case, then it's no wonder that we get carried away by the busyness of life and fall back to the default position of trusting in our own resources, let alone clouding and polluting the life of our minds with everything that the world has to offer through entertainment and the media and these kinds of things, worldly associations and frivolities. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead also will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, again, by the Spirit, the means and the instrumentality of the Spirit, if He's the one through whom or by whom you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Because or for the reason, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. To the extent that we are engaged in the mortification of the deeds of the flesh, those kinds of things that we read over in Galatians, let alone the passions and desires that go with those deeds or underlie those deeds, is the extent to which we are led of the Spirit and the extent to which we are or can claim to be true sons of God. Because the leading that the Spirit leads us to is the putting to death of those things. And the things that the Spirit would have us mindful of are those fruits and those um, godly resources, godly precepts and principles that would enable us to fulfill the working of God in our lives so that we can stop being conformed to the image of the world but be transformed again by the renewing of our minds. What we are mindful of what we are thoughtful about has a lot to do with what our focus is and who is leading us or what is leading us. Is it the flesh or is it the Spirit of God? And to, to the extent that we see ourselves falling into those old patterns of living, those old carnal ways of acting are the two criteria that we can judge how well we're doing in following the leadership of God's Spirit. What is our behavior? And what is our thought life characterized by? Those two things. So our focus should be on the fruits of the Spirit as opposed to the works of the flesh. And our minds should be focused on spiritual instead of carnal matters. We might say eternal or substantive things. And in the end, we have a responsibility to walk the walk. It's our walk to walk. But the resources that are available to us and the one who directs any given step from day to day or moment to moment is not ourselves, but it ought to be God's Spirit. There's, much in the, there's enough in the pages of Scripture to get a handle on 
in terms of how to live the Christian life. But there's a lot of things that come up in our day-to-day living that aren't necessarily addressed in the pages of Scripture. And it's at these moments when we have a choice to make of whether we do X or Y, which aren't necessarily clear-cut moral instructions that we have the most need of God's, the leading of God's Spirit as to what is the course that He would have us to take. But if we're not engaged in the battle on a moment-to-moment basis in the power of His Spirit overcoming the deeds of the body, being led by the Spirit and not fulfilling the works of the flesh, then those moments are just going to slip past. Moments for the true working and power of the Spirit to touch the lives of others, we're going to miss because there's no power. He has no power or freedom of operation in our own lives. And as a parent of young children, that frightens me considerably when I allow a day or two to go by without really considering what is the means or the instrument by which I should be doing my duty, fulfilling my role and responsibilities as a parent or as a worker in the workplace or as a son. So, just a reminder tonight, (coughs) excuse me, of what our focus should be and where our strength and the resources to accomplish those ends and those goals are really found. They're not just found in the principles and the precepts of Scripture. They are found in a life empowered by the Spirit of God, the revealer of those precepts and principles, to accomplish them, not in the letter, but in the true nature and spiritual intention with which they were given. That gets us into an effective and powerful Christian way of living and not one that's characterized by our human frailties and weaknesses. And that I need to be reminded of on a regular basis. And so hopefully uh, tonight's rambling will be an encouragement to you uh, in the same regard. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we do thank you for your love and faithfulness. We thank you for the opportunity we have to reconsider your word, passages that maybe are very familiar, but oftentimes, Lord, we are um, aware of them, um, but not cognizant of the living of them in the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I do ask that you would forgive us, forgive me, for seeking too often and too easily to um, do your work 
uh, in my own strength and not uh, led of your own of your spirit that it might be done rightly and in a way that truly pleases you and accomplishes your purposes and your tasks. Lord, help us throughout the day to be watchful of this war within us and constantly giving our choices, our decisions over to the leading of your spirit and to the working of his power on our behalf and the mortification of the flesh that we might have a strong testimony for you and for the truth of the gospel, but more importantly, that we might be powerful instruments, vessels of your spirit in the world to accomplish your your purposes, your way, and your timing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.